Good evening. Good evening. If you are interested on Vimeo.com, Marysville Church of Christ under the title is where we'll be streaming this. It'll go on YouTube as soon as this is done and on our podcast channel as well. And I know that's where a lot of people will be seeing this. It is nice to have a couple of uh, close friends and companions come in and support Jesse in this. It has been an incredible journey for him. My name is Bishop Darby and I've been the intern director for Jesse since August of 2021. And when he approached me in an attempt to become my intern, I said, well, what would you like to study? What is it that you want to, uh, this to be an internship for? And his response was simply to learn. And for those of you who know Jesse very well, that's not surprising. The kid is hungry constantly for more. Since then, we started meeting once a week for an hour and a half, which is the minimum requirement for the Marysville School District. And then we started meeting twice a week for an hour and a half. Then we started meeting twice a week for four hours each session until eventually we're meeting three or four times a week, studying and doing anything he wanted. The official title for his internship is Philosophical Theology and Narrative Study. This has been kind of the crux of what he's been doing. His intent was to create and understand a worldview that allows him to engage in everything that he does. We started with the theological development, primarily focusing in on Christology, soteriology, eschatology, and hermeneutics, specifically the study of cruciformity, which Jesse will talk a little bit about this evening. Then we went into philosophical development, primarily focusing on Platonism and Neoplatonism and its development of the Western world and the way it's impacted the church. From that point, we would spend one day a week where we would sit in a library and read one of the Socratic Dialogues. In our time, we've read Timaeus, Kretos, Crito, Euthyphro, Eon, Republic, and Phaedo. In so doing, we got to see the philosophies that would shape most of the world. Not only that, but we got to read through a variety of poems and stories, specifically Greco-Roman in nature, and then on through things even like, well, Friedrich Nietzsche, because I guess you have to go there too. It's been a wonderful journey. The most difficult part, though, was once we had the base theology that he wanted and his philosophical underpinnings blending the two together. So we relied a lot on patristics, Origen, Tertullian, and Justin Martyr to help fashion some of the thoughts of the early church. But out of all of it, my favorite part was the methodology, because Jesse can't just do what everyone else would do. So Jesse decided that he wanted to try to take it to the next level. He began a series of creative endeavors, stories, poems, worlds that he would make in order to play out the dilemmas that we were reading on the page. Euthyphro's dilemma, divine moral command theory, all sorts of things Jesse had a parable for. And we would find ourselves interacting and engaging with an issue from every possible nuance, from every possible angle. Some of the things we've done has been really remarkable. Even with college and university studies, this has been some of the most enriching times I've had, sitting and listening to one of the brightest kids I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. I want to thank you again, all of you coming in person to support him, and for all of you listening online or via the podcast. Behind me, you'll see a Mincy. If you will take a picture of the QR code, part of Jesse's assignment is that at the conclusion of this, we are going to answer all of the questions that you all have. So please have questions, otherwise I'm going to have to make them up all for him. Not only that, but those of you at home, please do so as well. We'll keep this poll open for seven days. At the end of seven days, we'll close it, and Jesse will have to answer every question and publish his answers. But I want to take just a moment as well and say this. 
Beyond just being an intern, Jesse has become a very valuable asset to our youth program and to our church. Constantly challenging and nuancing everything. He's really forced me to think outside the box and forced our group to think outside the box. I know I'm speaking to the choir with a predominantly family here, but I am very blessed to have had Jesse Davis as my intern. More than just as his instructor, as his friend, it's been a wonderful opportunity. And I know tonight he will touch you as he's touched me. I gave him an opportunity to pick any conversation he wanted for his Keystone uh, presentation. It could be anything we discussed or didn't discuss. Over the course of this time since August, he has constructed a theology around peace. And so it made sense that he wanted to give a presentation and a persuasive argument in favor of Christian nonviolence and an exploration of Christian pacifism. Please join me in welcoming Jesse Davis. Imagine, if you will, a young Canaanite couple in the ancient city of Heshbon enjoying an afternoon with their newborn infant sometime around the 12th century. Their enjoyment instantly turns to terror, however, as they hear battle horns and war cries in the distance and see terrified neighbors running down the street screaming, the Israelites are coming. Like everybody else in this little city, this couple has heard rumors of this warring nomadic tribe and of their mighty deity, Yahweh, and they are terrified. The couple has no idea why this tribe and their god would want to invade and slaughter their little town. They pose no threat to the Israelites and have little to offer them by way of wealth. There is no time to wonder, however, for within moments two Israelite soldiers burst down the door shouting, Yahweh is great! They immediately bludgeon the panicked husband and father as he futilely tries to defend his family. The terror-stricken teenage mother curls up in a corner, clutching her wailing infant while sobbing uncontrollably. As the two Hebrew soldiers approach her with their bloodied swords raised above their heads, the young girl raises her infant up to them as a plea to at least have mercy on her baby. Now imagine one of these Israelite soldiers being moved by this young mother's display of selfless love. He hesitates for a moment as his mind turns to his own young wife and newborn son. His comrade notices his hesitation, however, and sternly rebukes him, reminding him that Joshua has explicitly relayed Yahweh's commands to Moses that God's people are to show no mercy. Though it grieves him to do so, the conflicted soldier closes his eyes and puts all his weight and strength onto his falling sword, shouting, Praise be to Yahweh! He splits the young woman's skull in two. His comrade then bludgeons the infant as it flails about on the floor in its mother's pool of blood. Splattered with blood, the two comrades in Yahweh's army move on to the next terrified household where they would repeat this macabre deed as they would hundreds of more times in the weeks and months to come. Hi, I'm Jesse Davis. I'm here today to talk to you about the idea of Christian nonviolence and pacifism. What I just read you was an excerpt from The Warrior God, Volume 1, by Dr. Gregory Boyd. Did that make you uncomfortable? Did that disturb you? Did those actions fit the image that we have of God and what God would want us to do? That's what I'm here to talk about. 
my thesis states that God commands all to live in nonviolence. This thesis comes from an ideological idea which in the exact revelation of God's nature, God placed infinite value on all by self-sacrifice. Therefore, all have infinite value and are to, to value all others infinitely. But to start off, before we go any further, we need to define our key terms that we're going to be using a lot throughout today's symposium. To start off, what is our definition of violence? Well, violence is to inflict harm upon someone. We've broken this down into nine forms of which violence can manifest. Physical, sexual, emotional, psychological, spiritual, cultural, verbal, financial, and neglect. And all of these forms of violence have a biblical precedent and examples throughout our word. So next, on the opposite side of the spectrum, what is nonviolence? Well, it's the use of peaceful means to invoke change. It's not simply doing nothing. It's not simply letting things happen. It's the use of peaceful means to invoke change. And by extent, pacifism is the act of peacemaking. The act of peacemaking. For today's structure, we're going to start with the idea of cruciformity. I'll break it down for you in a minute, but cruciformity is the lens and the filter through which the Bible is seen through from my perspective. And so, whether you disagree with me on it or not, once I explain it to you, for the sake of this symposium, please come along with me and look at the scriptures through this filter and this lens. Then we'll move on to the biblical precedent of nonviolence. Where do we see it throughout the Word of God? First, we'll talk about Jesus' perspective on nonviolence, then move on to Pauline theology on nonviolence, finally going then to New Testament and Old Testament scriptures regarding it. Then we'll move on to the patristic precedent. What did the early church fathers have to say about nonviolence? The people who laid the groundwork for our faith, what were their perspectives and views, and what can we learn from them? Then we'll move on to the idea of divine moral command theory, things such as Euthyphro's dilemma, divine moral command theory, the Platonic idos and Christian considerations of these philosophical ideas. And then we'll wrap up with an excerpt from an Iliad and my personal call. First off, what is cruciformity? It's going to be the lens that everything today is viewed through, so it's very important we start there. Cruciformity is the idea that Jesus Christ, and in the moment of him crucified, is the truest revelation of God that we have. It's the clearest picture we've ever been presented with, and it is that moment and that life that we are to follow the most closely. When we look through the Bible, the idea of the cross is what we should look at everything through. There are several verses that give us this idea that Jesus and the cross are the center of our faith. Starting with Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. In many ways and by many means, God spoke in ancient times to our ancestors and the prophets. But at the end of these days, he spoke to us in a son. He appointed his son to be the heir of all things through him. In addition, he created the worlds. He is the shining reflection of God's own glory, the precise expression of his own very being. He sustains all things through his powerful word. Colossians 2, 16 through 17. 
So don't let anyone pass judgment on you in question of food or drink, or in the matter of festivals, new moons, or Sabbaths. These things are a shadow cast by the coming reality, and the body that casts the shadow belongs to the king. John 14, 9. Have I been with you for such a long time, Philip, replied Jesus, and still you don't know me? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Colossians 1, 15. He is the image of God, the invisible one, the firstborn of all creation. 1 Corinthians 2, 2. For I designed to be concerned about nothing among you except Jesus Christ and, in, and him crucified. Galatians 6, 14. But as for me, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So that we've decided through these passages and through the context of the symposium that Jesus is the center. Jesus is the lens and view that we should look at everything, including the Bible, through. So then, what does Jesus himself have to say about nonviolence? Starting in Matthew 5, 7 through 9. Blessings on the merciful, you will receive mercy yourself. Blessings on the pure in heart, you will see God. Blessings on the peacemakers, you'll be called God's children. Matthew 5, 38 through 45. You heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, don't use violence to resist evil. Instead, when someone hits you on the right cheek, turn the other one towards him. When someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your cloak too. And when someone forces you to go one mile, go a second one with him. Give to anyone who asks you and don't refuse someone who wants to borrow from you. You heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for people who persecute you. That way, you'll be children of your Father in heaven. After all, he makes his sun rise on bad and good alike and sends rain both on the upright and on the unjust. Luke 3.14. Some soldiers, too, asked John, What about us? What should we do? Do no violence, replied John, and no blackmail. Be content with your wages. Matthew 16.24-25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to come after me, they must give themselves up and pick up their cross and follow me. Yes, if someone wants to save their life, they must lose it. And if anyone loses their life for my sake, they will find it. Matthew 26, 52 through 53. Put your sword back where it belongs, said Jesus to him. People who use the sword die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could call on my father and have him send me more than 12 legions of angels just like that? Luke 6, 27 through 37. But this is my word, Jesus continued. For those of you who are listening, love your enemies. Do good to people who hate you. Bless people who curse you. Pray for people who treat you badly. If somebody hits you on the cheek, offer him the other one. If someone takes away your coat, don't stop him taking your shirt. Give to everyone who asks you, and don't ask for things back when people have taken them. Whatever you want people to do to you, do that to them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Think about it. Even sinners love people who love them. Or again, if you do good only to people who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Sinners do that too. If you lend only to people who you expect to get things back from, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get paid back. No. Love your enemies. Do good and lend without expecting any return. Your reward will be great. You will be children of the highest. He is generous, you see, to the stingy and the wicked. 
You must be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Don't judge, and you won't be judged. Don't condemn, and you won't be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. John 18, 36. My kingdom isn't the sort that grows in this world, replied Jesus. If my kingdom were from this world, my supporters would have fought to stop me from being handed over to the Judeans. So then, my kingdom is not the sort that comes from here. I don't feel like there's a lot I need to break down there. Jesus makes it pretty clear. We are not to use violence on our enemies. We are not to harm them, but to love them, to show them mercy, and even give them more than they ask for when they take from us. So then what does Pauline theology have to say about nonviolence? In Romans 12, 17 through 21, it says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Consider what is good before all people. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all people. Do not avenge yourself, dear friends, but give place to God's wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Rather, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing this, you will put heaping burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 14, 17 through 19. God's kingdom, you see, isn't about food and drink, but about justice, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Anyone who serves the Messiah like this pleases God and deserves respect from other people. So then, let us find and follow the way of peace and discover how to build each other up. Ephesians 2, 16 through 17. God was reconciling both of us to himself in a single body through the cross by killing the enmity in him. So the Messiah came and gave the good news. Peace had come. Peace, that is, for those of you who are a long way away, and peace, too, for those who are close at hand. Ephesians 6, 12. The warfare we're engaged in, you see, isn't against flesh and blood. It's against the leaders, against the authorities, against the powers that rule in the world in this dark age, against the wicked against the wicked spiritual elements in the heavenly places. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-4. Yes, we are mere humans, but we don't fight the war in a merely human way. The weapons we use for the fight, you see, are not merely human. They carry a power from God that can tear down fortresses. We tear down clever arguments. Paul shares with us that it's not our duty to fight wars of man, to fight against each other, but it is our responsibility to fight against the evil that corrupts man, to fight against the forces that would lead man to do evil. If we partake in evil, then we will never stop evil. But we must partake in the good that Jesus has commanded us if we wish to see change. But what do the other New Testament writers have to say about this topic? Starting in Hebrews 12, 14, follow after peace with everyone and the holiness which is necessary before you can see the Lord. James three seventeen through 18. But the wisdom that comes from above is first holy, then peaceful, gentle, compliant, filled with mercy and good fruits, unbiased, sincere, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. 1 Peter two twenty one through 24. This, after all, is what came with the terms of your call. Because the Messiah, too, suffered on your behalf, leaving behind a pattern for you so that you should follow the way he walked. He committed no sin, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. When he was insulted, he didn't insult in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. But he gave himself up to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might be free from sins and live for righteousness. It is by his wounds that you are healed. 1 Peter 3, 8-11 
The aim of this is for you all to be like-minded, sympathetic, and loving to one another, tender-hearted and humble. Don't repay evil for evil or slander for slander, but rather say a blessing. This is what you were called to, so that you may inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and see good days should guard the tongue from evil and the lips from speaking deceit, should turn away from evil and do good, should seek peace and follow after it. They saw clearly through the moment of Jesus Christ on the cross that rather than hurt, rather than inflict any pain upon anybody, Jesus took pain on himself. He gave himself rather than see harm done to another. They understood this in a way that we seem to have lost. There is no justification for violence and to harm one another. And if we are to truly follow Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is my Lord, is yours, we must follow his example instead of ignoring his teachings. But the Old Testament writers had things to say on nonviolence too. Starting in 1 Chronicles 22, 8 through 9, But this word of the Lord came to me. You have shed much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name, because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest, and I will give him rest for all his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon, and I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. 1 Chronicles 28.3 But God said to me, You are not to build a house for my name because you are a warrior and have shed blood. Psalm 33.16-17 No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strengths, it cannot save. Isaiah 2.4 He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Isaiah 9, 5-7 Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Micah 4, 2 through 5. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, so the word of the, of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes from strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the, same, in the name of their God, but we will walk in the name of, our, of the Lord our God forever and ever. Zechariah 9, 9 through 10. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from rivers to the ends of the earth. They knew of Jesus' coming. They saw it 
They prophesied about it. That he would be the bringer of peace. The great deliverer. We are so lucky to live after Jesus' coming. To see what Jesus has done for us. He has brought peace. And we must carry out his peace. He is our Lord and he has declared peace for us. For the nations and for the world. If we are to follow in his example, we must do the same. We cannot let ourselves succumb to sin because it is what the world does. We must stand above it and choose the path the Lord has given for us. So the early church fathers, the ones who laid the foundation, who began the great church of Christ, what did they have to say about nonviolence? What were their thoughts that we can glean from? In the Didache, it says, The way of life, then, is this. First, you shall love God who made you. Second, love your neighbor as yourself, and do not do to another what you would not want done to you. And of these sayings, the teachings is this. Bless those who curse you, and pray for your enemies, and fast for those who persecute you. Justin Martyr said, We who formerly murdered one another now refrain from making war even upon our enemies. Athenagoras says, We have learned not to return blow for blow, nor to go to law with those who plunder or rob us. Instead, even to those who strike us on the side of the face, we offer the other side also. Tertullian says, The practice of the old law was to avenge itself by the vengeance of the sword. It was to pluck out eye for eye and to inflict relatory violence for injury. Retaliatory violence for injury. However, the practice of the new law points to clemency. Tertullian also said, The Christian does no harm even to his enemy. Origen says, We revile no one, for we believe that revilers will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we read, Bless them that curse you, bless, and curse not. Also, being reviled, we bless. Ambrose says, it is better to suffer wrong than to inflict it. We would rather shed our own blood than stain our hands and our conscience with that of another. Cyprian says, even our enemies are to be loved. Theonos of Alexandria says, do no one an injury at any time and provoke no one to anger. If an injury is done to you, look to Jesus Christ, and even as you desire that he may remit your transgressions, do you also forgive them theirs? And then also shall you do away with all ill will and bruise the head of that ancient serpent? Clement of Alexandria says, Christians are not allowed to use violence to correct the delinquencies of sin. Christians are not allowed to use violence to correct the delinquencies of sin. There's something here that we've lost. The church fathers understood it. Those who walked with Jesus understood it. Those who prophesied of Jesus understood it. But we've lost something. We've forgotten. We justify our violence with I needed to. I wanted to. I'll do better next time. Well, it's okay because but we have been called not to harm another in any context, in any situation, despite what has happened to us, despite what has happened to those we love. 
We have been called to be healers and to be lovers. Moving into some philosophy, we have Euthyphro in the Eidos. A famous philosophical question and dilemma is Euthyphro's dilemma, which says, does something become good when God commands it, or does God only command that which is good? Luckily, for us Christians, we have a pretty good answer. God is good all the time. And all the time, yeah. So whatever God commands must be good because God is good and God would not command evil, for God is good. And therefore, whatever God does not command, what God commands not to do must be evil. So when God commands us not to use violence, when did that get forgotten? When it clearly is something God says not to do, when did it become good? To help break it down is Plato's theory of forms. To put it simply, imagine a triangle. At the very top, we have God, Jesus, and in him crucified. We have pureness, holiness, and good. But as we go down the triangle, there are filters, broken ideas, until we get to the very bottom where we live, where our lives exist. And so when we look up to God from the bottom of the triangle, we see God through brokenness. The brokenness of our world, of our lives, of pain, of terror, of suffering. We look up and we can only see brokenness, and so our image of God becomes distorted. But how fortunate we are, how lucky we are, that God has given us the perfect image of himself to look through. The idea of Jesus and in him crucified, allows us to see God's character clearly. Because of that, through finally being able to see him clearly through Jesus, we can understand that to harm each other, it goes against what Jesus taught us. And to ignore that, to ignore any of Jesus' teachings, is to not truly make Jesus our Lord. Jesus didn't die for the Christians. Jesus didn't die for the Jews. Jesus didn't die for the innocent mothers and the newborn children. Jesus died for everybody. Jesus died for the killers. Jesus died for the thieves. Jesus died for the rapists. Jesus died from all those who have taken from us who have hurt us and who will ever hurt us. Jesus died for the war criminals. Jesus died for everybody. Because Jesus loved everybody. No matter what they've done. Jesus loved everybody. And he has called us to do the same. And for us to inflict violence upon them, Jesus clearly says, is not what we are to do. To wrap up, I'm going to read an excerpt from An Iliad by Lisa Peterson. To set the scene for you, the poet, the main character, is trying to retell the conclusion of the Iliad, but finds himself getting lost in ideas and memories of things he's seen. Now, this is from a play, so I need to take a moment to get into character. I have a theater experience. <sighs> 
All right. <clears throat> it's so... If you'd seen it, the waste, just like... Um, there was one time... Um, yes, yes. Uh, it was a terribly hot day during the conquest of summer. Uh, I mean the conquest of Sargon. Uh, the Persian War. No, the Peloponnesian War. War of Alexander the Great. Punic War. Gallic War. Caesar's invasion of Britain. Great Jewish Revolt. Yellow Turban Rebel Rebellion. War against the Moors in North Africa. Roman-Persian War. Fall of Rome. Byzantine-Arab War. Muslim conquest of Egypt. First siege of Constantinople. Arab-Chinese War. Saxon Wars. Viking raids across Europe. Bulgarian siege of Constantinople. Sand Rebellion in southern Iraq. Croatian-Bulgarian War. Viking Civil War. Norman conquest of England. First Crusade. Second Crusade. Third Crusade. Fourth Crusade. Children's Crusade. Fifth Crusade, Sixth Crusade, Seventh Crusade, Eighth Crusade, Ninth Crusade, Norman Invasion of Ireland, Mongol Invasion of China, Mongol Invasion of Russia, Mongol Invasion of Afghanistan, Mongol Invasion of Vietnam, The Hundred Years' War, Chinese Domination of Vietnam, Polish-Lithuanian Teutonic War, Hunger War, Fall of Constantinople, Wars of the Roses, War of the Priests, Muscatel Lithuanian Wars, the Spanish Conquest of Mexico, the Mughal Conquest of India, War of the Two Brothers, the Spanish Conquest of Peru, Thirty Years' War, Pakat War, First, Second, and Third English Civil Wars, Cromwell's Conquest of Ireland, Cromwell's Conquest of Scotland, the Three Hundred and Thirty Five Years' War, French and Indian Wars, Second Cherokee War, American Revolution, French Revolution, Haitian Revolution, the Napoleonic Wars, the Bolivian War of Independence, Argentine War of Independence, Mexican War of Independence, Venezuelan War of Independence, War of 1812, Colombian, Chilean, Peruvian, Ecuadorian Wars of Independence, Lower Canada Rebellion, Upper Canada Rebellion, Second Somalian War, Mormon War, Pastry War, Honey War, First Anglo-Afghan War, First Opium War, The Land Wars, Crimean War, American Civil War, Sioux Wars, Second Anglo-Afghan War, the Bior Wars, Cuban War of Independence, Spanish-American War, Mexican Revolution, World War I, Russian Revolution, Third Anglo-Afghan War, Irish War of Independence, Afghan Civil War, Japanese Invasion of Manchuria, Saudi Yemeni War, Spanish Civil War, World War II, Palestine Civil War, Arab-Israeli War, Cold War, Korean War, Cuban Revolution, Tibetan Rebellion, Vietnam, Bay of Pigs, Sand War, Six-Day War, Laos, Cambodia, The Troubles, Prague Spring, Nicaraguan Revolution, Salvadorian Civil War, Soviet Invasion of Afghanistan, Contra War in Nicaragua, Second Sudan's Civil War, Iran-Iraq War, Falklands War, Israeli Invasion of Lebanon, U.S. Invasion of Grandada, U.S. Invasion of Panama, First Intifada, Afghan Civil War, Rwanda Civil War, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Chechnya, 
Afghanistan, Kosovo, Iraq, Chechnya, Afghanistan, Rwanda, Darfur, Iraq, Haiti, Pakistan, Lebanon, Kenya, Zimbabwe, Congo, Gaza, Somalia, Georgia, Iraq, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Libya, Syria, the Russian-Ukrainian war. My children, my desolation, how can I go on living? Violence begets violence. Hatred begets hatred. We have been called to love indiscriminately and to do no harm to another. The longer we refuse this call, the more things will have to be added to this list and the more pain we will have to endure. Thank you. Thank you for all of you who tuned in, whether it be live, later, through the podcast, whatever. Uh, Thank you guys for all coming out and supporting Jesse in person. Um, As we mentioned, there are some questions that have been coming in. There will be more as the podcast community uh, chimes in. We will be addressing them in two forms. We will be addressing your questions in a written form and as well in a podcast that I will invite him in as a roundtable where him and I will sit and talk about this. Um, It's amazing how much he has challenged my view on this. How much his research, devotion, and as you see, preparation has caused me to rethink a lot of things. I know that uh, every person in here has been challenged by him as well. Jesse, thank you so much for the internship, the experience, the friendship, and the academic exploration you just put us through. I think it's so important that our minds are always tested and strengthened and challenged. And that is exactly what you do every single day of this internship and every single day of your life. We appreciate you. Marysville Church of Christ appreciates you. And Bishop Darby appreciates you, I think, more than anything. So thank you so much for everything. And thank you all for your support and coming out this evening.